Welcome to the Oasis Unstacked, where we cover NFTs, the metaverse, crypto gaming, and everything in between. Hey, everyone. So great to welcome you to our new show, the Oasis Unstacked. I have four incredible co-hosts to introduce to everyone today. And uh, if you're tuning in, you probably are familiar with uh, my name or my voice. And that's because I host the flagship Crypto Unstacked podcast. As I mentioned, I'm super delighted to have this group of awesome co-hosts with me um, to come together for this new podcast, which is ultimately dedicated to covering all things NFTs, the metaverse, crypto gaming, and things in between. I'll spare you a bit of my background because I want you to get to know these guys but a brief intro. Uh, I've been a longtime crypto enthusiast. I've worked with several crypto firms in the past. I'm currently based in Hong Kong, and I'm the chief marketing officer of CoinFlex, which is a crypto futures exchange. And yeah, I'm just super excited to be learning more about the creative side of this industry from these incredibly bright minds here. So without further ado, Tom, take it away. Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to the Oasis Unstacked. So my name is Tom, and I'm an investor and a collector currently running Kanose Ventures, a, which is a Web3-focused investment fund. So we invest in a lot of the Web3 opportunities, specifically DeFi, NFTs, and DAOs. Prior to getting into crypto world, I worked as an investment professional at an investment fund for uh, several years. And yeah, I mean, NFTs are super exciting and it's really a, um, not a difficult topic. And we wanted to break it down for everyone who are listening in to you know understand that it's really interesting and a lot of exciting things happening here. And I'll pass it on to um, Dave. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with all of you. I'm coming at this from a kind of artist and community builder perspective. I personally am a photographer and have been making my living in the world of, of Web2 for, for many years now. And all the problems that I see with those systems seem to be fixed by many of the technologies of Web3. So I'm very excited about the potential here beyond my own work and, and the NFTs that I'm making and, and selling. I also am the founder of a creative community called All Ships, which you can find at allships.co. And that is basically a creative community based on the concept that with the technologies of Web3, we really can all rise together. And it's a very interesting symbiosis that I see unfolding before us. And, and that's why I'm so excited about crypto art and NFTs and this whole entire world. Thanks, Dave. Same here. Super happy to be here, guys. Thanks for inviting us and, and putting together this, this cool team of co-hosts for Oasis Unstacked. Also a big fan of Dave's All Shape community. I think that's a great effort that's bringing tons of value to lots of creatives. So yeah, lots of respect to this. I'm, I'm Louis. I've been working in the space for almost two years now, straight out of university. Started working with a project called Aragon, one of the early DAO frameworks that allowed people to pull funds together and vote you know, through a simple, like, I mean, as simple as possible UI. Eventually I started my own blog and contributed to a number of other communities, 
helping them like think about you know how to onboard contributors and 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 do community management and grow their communities and and 12 months ago I joined Super right after the I mean right at the beginning of the yeah, NFT boom let's say to help the team structure its like community efforts so I guess that was great timing and and a super interesting ride so far for me I'm also like deeply involved with the broader like social token space and, and DAO space, like being close to projects like Orca Protocol, Seed Club, where I'm a contributor and a member of Web Friends with Benefits, which I'm following closely since a couple of months. So I, I'm sure we have opportunities to talk about all these different things. But yeah, super stoked to be here. And I pass it to Elle. All right. Yeah. Hello. I am just generally a user and a player around DeFi and Web3. I was working for like a year. And then when I got laid off, I really didn't have much options, but like I was just falling in love and falling down the hole of crypto. But then gas fees made it exorbitant to even do anything. But like one of the biggest realizations for me was when I w- figured out that I could make money just by playing this game. And that was a really big light bulb for me and helped me understand the potential of NFTs like very early in 2020. So yeah, up to this point, I'm still fascinated by NFTs. I work at Greenfield One as an analyst for NFT deals. I mostly am very excited for the opportunity that NFTs enable. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you do. If you care about crypto and Web3, it's very easy to get onboarded and start getting paid versus like Web2 where I can't access a lot of things because of my geography. One point there, L. What is it like being an NFT analyst? I think that's like definitely a new role out there. I don't know. I was doing, I was like analyzing NFT things for friends like last year already anyway, just because, especially when it comes to games, right? I mean, technically they're on the more financial end of the spectrum. And with games, you got marketplace statistics and metrics and all these things that suddenly make these things look investable back last year right last year when like none of these had taken off but like there were people that I knew who were I was making money playing a game when I didn't have any income and like that was a very big light bulb moment for me you know you could sell these NFTs in this game and there was a lot there that felt really special and so I I was like already trying to explain that stuff to friends. So when I got this job, yeah, it was really mostly to analyze or even look at the broader sphere of what will happen or what we think is going to happen. So yeah, I'm mostly just analyzing, you know, the deals that come my way or summarizing what they think could happen. Yeah, well, speaking of broader sphere, let's bring it out to talking about what's happening in the NFT space now. Tom, what's been going on? Well, there has been a lot of things going on for the last couple of weeks, as you know. I mean, everyone can speak to it, but you know, we see these um, digital rock JPEGs selling for millions of dollars to, you know, Visa entering and advertising with CryptoPunks and Budweiser buying Tom Sachs 
now Rocket Factory to we're seeing a lot of different branding and movements and you know mainstream you know institutions getting interested in um and in, in the space. I think it's really fascinating and curious what you know Dave, Louie or L or Leslie, what do you guys think? Like is Rock JPEG worth a million bucks or is that what NFT is? Um what do you guys think? <laughs> to me this is a kind of a, a value layer that's kind of based on community consensus, right? And in a way, that's what value kind of is in our communities. It's what it's like abstractions and symbols of what, what we agree has significance, cultural significance. So the rock thing is interesting. You know, I don't think inherently those pictures, it's, it's not about the JPEG, so to speak. It's kind of about the, the, the arc of that story and almost in this like modern art kind of way, like this is a community that's going to dictate what is important to its its own internal kind of storyline and interests. And I think we're seeing that across, you know, all these different kind of older projects that people are almost digging up like digital archaeology and kind of seeing, oh, is this the first, this is one of the first projects on Ethereum as an NFT. And like that history is what gives these things the cultural significance that then in turn gives them value. So that, that, it's interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see like the long term, you know, how that plays out. And then also, you know, the more recent projects, like, for example, you know, Bored Apes or the Mutant Ape thing that just occurred, which I thought was a really brilliant project. You know, in a few years, will those be the, the historic projects that are then elevated towards these astronomical prices? It's, it's fascinating to watch and, and I'm curious to see it unfold. I tend to agree. And I, I, I really like, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this plays out in the longer term. And I think like, as, as people, I mean, as you said, I mean, it's still like, you know, our kind of like biological social brands valuing these things. And we have like a limited brain space for the number of things that really have value to, to us. And, and, and like we're seeing like now every couple of days, you have a new collection that, you know, blows up and, and skyrockets there. You had like, uh, you know, the, the rocks and, and the, the like penguins and, and, uh, you know, like creator, creatures and aliens and tons of different things. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> you had like pretty much anything and, and some, some were really like, I mean, I, I think not all are equal, like some are really cool and have like a really cool, like art to it or like very cool community dimension. Some are like less interesting to me, but I think the, yeah, I think like some of these are definitely going to remain and Especially as, you know, given the, like the, the pace of innovation in crypto, it's like absolutely crazy and still accelerating and in all different directions. Like, you know, in, in a couple of years ago, we had just like, you know, a couple of infrastructure projects doing things and making the headlines and stuff with major fundraises. Now it's about lots about NFTs, but soon we'll have like the social tokens and new communities and friends with benefits growing, reaching a hundred million market cap. And so everything grows like old so quickly. Like looking 12 months, just 12 months ago, we had the digital art boom. And it was like the first kind of like revelation, like use case, whoa, like this, you know, this technology can help, you know, digital creatives monetize their creations through NFTs. And and now like we have this new wave of it, which is more like community driven and, and generative art collections, like punks, apes, and all these things. That's another kind of breed of, of and so like... That's what's crazy about crypto is like the community is just like wanting to experiment with like the the new and the latest thing. But 
yeah, I think like we just go past each different chapter with like such a rapid pace that you just want to be, you know, kind of thinking, you know, this is just like a time in the history of the market. I mean, that's kind of like how I think about it also because I don't own a punk or an, an ape. And so I was like, I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's a bummer I've been around for such a long time. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's how I currently think about it. Also important to point out for you know the audience or people who are listening in that are not familiar with NFTs are maybe they do you want to tell us like why these JPEGs are not the JPEGs that we're used to or a hundred percent. Yeah, so that's a great point. On the surface, you know, it doesn't help that when like the New York Times writes about it. They're like, oh, this JPEG sold for $69 million, talking about the Beeple thing. But it's really a lot deeper than that. And, and what NFTs allow and what tokenizing artwork allows is it's the first time we've had digital objects. Before this, anything that you saw online was kind of just a copy of a copy of a copy that just is distributed freely to everybody. In the same way that Napster kind of did this with music. Like it just, you just sent files with no, there's no provenance. It doesn't matter. Like you can't keep track of the origins of things. And that's really important for ideas around ownership to have the origins and, you know, be kind of provable on chain history. So what NFTs enable is to have digital original objects. And once you have, once you can kind of accept that, then that's how you can have an entire digital economy emerging. Because without, you know, without scarcity there and, and you know, provable provenance, you don't really get the, the dynamics of supply and demand. And so once you can have that kind of provable origins of digital objects, all the markets that we're used to in the traditional world now apply to digital spaces as well. We're really entering a, like a revolutionary time in, in the evolution of the internet. Like this is a fully new layer of the internet. And I think it's even more significant than like, you know, the dot-com era and, and everything like that, because we're just so much further along in, in our digital spaces. And the implications of, of that are vast for art, brands, communities, ticketing, access, just everything. And it's going to, I really do think it's going to change, change the entire world even more than people that are excited like us, even more than we think. That's why the scarcity matters, right? There's only 21 million Bitcoin, right? There's only 10,000 crypto punks, and there's only 100 digital rocks, right? That's why some people say those are more valuable <laughs> than a Bitcoin or et cetera. So it's interesting that the scarcity concept of digital asset or you know, internet culture does not exist until really now. So that's what's getting everyone excited. Yeah. And like, I think one way... I'm not entirely sure, but it sticks to in my my mind. I'm not like one way to represent that is like, I mean, I really feel like basically like owning an NFT really generates the same sensation or feeling to me like owning some, you know, physical object or physical property, whatever it is. And so this, so the NFTs are like, it's kind of like, let's say the digital world, this metaverse is a mirror you know, of our, or like kind of a parallel universe to our physical world. And like NFTs are the way to materialize physical objects in, in this, like, or, or like kind of like the equivalent, it's not a physical object. It's not like, you know, tied to a physical object in reality, but it's like the equivalent of a physical object in this metaverse would be an NFT. And, and so a physical object can be anything, can be like something that's, replicated in, you know, let's say, you know, a car. I mean, it can represent lots of different things. 
It can also be art and, and be unique and be a one-on-one thing. But basically that's like just a way to represent like scarcity and something that exists in a limited number of, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah limited edition in, 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 in this, in this world. So that's, that's really like the foundations for recreating so many things on top of this like logic that we had in the kind of like in, in the West very early on through like, you know, property rights and, and, uh, technological revolutions and, you know, kind of like more and more goods being, being made available and, and, and being, you know, people being able to leverage these goods to also create new things and create new uses and stuff. And so it's a whole new world of like creativity and, and opportunities because obviously this digital world doesn't really have the same exact limitations and, and properties as our physical world. So that's, that's like really an open, an open, like, yeah, an open space now. You know, what's funny is that this is actually making me question ownership in general. And like what you just said about property, property rights and everything. It's like, it's not that big of a leap to take those ideas of ownership into the digital space, because even in, even in the physical space, it's, it's uh, still an abstraction. Like to own something is like, if I say I own a car or I own, you know, a piece of art that requires like the consensus of the community being like, yes, you own that thing. Other, it's just an idea, you know? So the fact that you can have those same ideas in digital spaces actually isn't that big of a leap in, in abstraction. So that's what I'm so excited about too. And I completely agree. I'm, you know, more attached to some of the NFTs I have than some of the physical art I have. And all the friction of that ownership and the trading and the valuation, all that friction has been removed because on the blockchain, you can just transfer things so easily. And like, you know, if I had a very expensive piece of physical art and I wanted to sell it to somebody else, that's like a month, could be a month long process and and payment delayed and and all sorts of complications. But in, in this kind of like more frictionless internet layer, the cycles are just moving so much faster because you can just do things with the click of a button. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah, I think the big leap for a lot of people, maybe it's not ownership, but it's value, right? Like, how do I get myself to value something that is intangible versus a painting, like you say, right? Which is totally tangible and, you know, is something that you can hang on your wall. And and it's something that people are used to valuing, I guess, is is the, you know, main, main thing there. And like... With the Damien Hurst NFT, which is the first NFT that I bought, it was entering into this experiment, which was how do you like how do you value different forms of art? Because NFT is a form of art, but the physical painting, for example, that's associated with this NFT that I bought is also valuable given his history of dot paintings, right? So it's like which version, the physical or the digital? is more valuable. And the interesting thing there is that there's a time constraint. So everyone who bought that NFT has a year to figure out whether they want to exchange the NFT for the physical art, in which case the NFT would be burned or vice versa. And yeah, that really makes you think like, what what do I view as more valuable? And I don't really think there's a particular way of seeing it. I, I wish I bought two so I can just, you know, redeem one and then keep the other. <laughs> That's always the regret. That's the rule of NFT. You, you always buy two. Oh, is that the rule? Is that the golden rule? Okay. I have to buy at least three. 
if you if you can afford it, always buy two. <laughs> That's right. You can flip flip one to cover the cost of both, and then and then hold long term. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes. Why so on the beginner here? <laughs> but I think also to speak on that point, I think it's also maybe there's a generational thing because I mean I didn't. I didn't grow up in a space also that can hold paintings. And when I think of like owning a painting, I'm like, great. I have to take care of it. I have to like do all, I probably have to do like maintenance and keep it out of sunlight and all these other things that's I'm not really interested to do. There's, I mean, it's a physical object. I have to, if I want to make sure it retains its value, I also have to put in the maintenance into that physical object versus these NFTs, which are completely digital, and therefore, as long as the project and its cultural significance is maintained, and even I, I myself can contribute to that cultural significance, then you know I don't. The only maintenance I have to do is maybe some effort that I would enjoy putting effort into anyway, versus like the very manual labor that goes into taking care of physical objects. I, I definitely agree with with like. This kind of like generational argument, and I, I share I share it somewhat. I mean, I've never collect. I mean, behind me, I mean, you, you guys can see on the podcast, but I have a Nate Hill. Nate Hill is a super artist that I love, and I have a poster in my in my place. Yeah, back to like Leslie's like question of dilemma of like you know, keeping the NFT or or exchanging exchanging that against the physical artwork. I'm kind of thinking. If you're like a Gen Z or millennial or like very social media savvy and stuff, like you'll want to be able to display this NFT in your wallet. This has like kind of like might have more value to be able to display that you're the, you're the NFT owner on all these different platforms and stuff. And kind of like also, you know, these NFTs can have utility. Like, so maybe that's not this artist in, in part particular, but like more and more like creators and artists are going to be, you know, and give like some, you know, different kind of like perks and accesses to their communities through these NFTs. Cause like, you know, they're on chain, there's, they're a piece of code and you ba can basically program anything around them or an experience around them. So like, it feels like, yeah, having the, the painting in your place feels really limiting in the number of things that you will, you know, benefit from. So you can definitely like look at it, have people, you know, when people come from for, for dinner, they'll see like, oh, you have a beautiful artwork on your wall and stuff, but you won't have this other, you know, end of things where basically like hundreds of followers will kind of like be aware that, you know, you're a supporter of these artists and you'll be able to access like this social platform or chat or using this NFT. So yeah, I, I think like on my end, that choice would be probably <laughs> just to keep the, the NFT. <laughs> And I think we're, you know, Web2 world, you know, Instagram and all these social media has built that, you know, network among people, right? Sharing online has become, you know, common thing. And, you know, all in you know, art and all these things are culture. And then once you, Mona Lisa is valuable because a lot of people recognize is Mona Lisa, right? And recognize the art. And I think there's a huge significant value by having things digital where, uh, more people can have access to that art rather than you could buy some really expensive Picasso that is physical and hanging it on your wall, but only people can really see that as, you know, friends that you invite to impress them, right? Like, oh, I have Picasso, but people around the world will not know you own a Picasso. And 
you know, it's part of a status thing, but, you know, people would love to, you know, share and show people that what you own and what you collect. So, and then I think that is what, you know, internet enables. And I think digital media and art is the way to go. And that's the, that's also a way to make your asset more valuable. I think that's why people want to go digital too, right? Rather than something physical. And it's it's funny you say that because I use this example all the time. Because the number one criticism or you know skeptical comment I get from people is, "Oh, well, when I buy a piece of art, I, it's actually real. Like I can I can hang it on my wall." I'm like, "Yeah, but you know I have art hanging behind me too, and and way more people see it if I post it to my Instagram story, right?" And so like even you know even somebody buying a luxury good like a Rolex or you know a very expensive handbag, they're doing it to post on their digital spaces. So they make a digital, almost a digital copy of it and upload it to their social media because that way thousands of people see it as opposed to the very limited amount of people that will be in their physical space or in their physical circle. So it's fascinating. And that's a good explanation for me. And I also just wanted to add to your Mona Lisa comment. I just was at the Louvre and, and saw the Mona Lisa. And then you go to the gift shop. And there's like Mona Lisa Monopoly, Mona Lisa notebooks, Mona Lisa pencils, erasers, coffee cups. And the more that image permeates our culture, the more the one of one original is, is valued. And I completely agree with you that the internet is that kind of open landscape where I want people to repost my work. Please, like, you know download my image and use it as your phone background because every time somebody sees that image, the original is more valuable. And I think that that's always been true, but now it's just, it's unfolding in our digital spaces. It's made a leap from physical, so. Or I think it actually allows the artist or the creator to capture the value, right? Because the problem before with people just like right click and copy pasting is it, it was theft, right? Like it could, like people could make products off of it. You know, even if it was just like a draft or like a photo that you took and someone just like downloaded it and suddenly made products off of it in a certain way, sense that was theft. But like if someone makes parodies of your art, now it really kind of doesn't matter because you have this provenance on the blockchain. You have the stamp on the blockchain being like, I put it here. This is mine. And y'all can find it versus the mess of Web2 where attribution and copyright and credit is just one big mess. Yep. 100%. And also one point that I also want to make is, you know, we, we haven't, you know, a lot of people think about NFT as an art, but it's really more than that because like one interesting, um, you know, example could be like, you know, I was just looking at some condos and real estate randomly in Cambodia, for example. And what's really interesting about that country is that due to the, some of the wars in their history, a lot of the, the land titles has been burned during those periods. So there is no actual like, even if you're buying like a property, like you have to ask like the neighbors to make sure this is actually the owner because there's like a no out, like actual way to prove that you actually own the thing. So even if you buy it, it's kind of like half and half that you actually own the thing or not. So like, you know, what NFTs can enable is that you could, you know, transfer that in a physical piece of paper that proves that you own the, own the property rather onto a blockchain where it's a permanent, you don't have to like, keep that piece of paper? What if like, you don't have to worry about losing it? So I think that permanence and application is far beyond just the art itself. And that's probably a good way to like for the government of Cambodia to keep track of what's actually going on rather than have that piece of paper with a lot of ambiguity 
that probably pushes a lot of the foreign investors who want to invest and you know, help grow the countries and all. So it's a, it's a really interesting technology where there's a lot of applications that that is going to work and we're going to see that. Yeah, one of the things that I like to say whenever anyone asks me on how big you think the market can go, I always say that NFTs allow you to tokenize anything, right? Anything that you can think of that is unique. And when you can tokenize anything, you can sell anything. There's just no cap as, as, as far as your imagination can go. You can sell it on the blockchain. Exactly. I mean, and then it's like once you tokenize that piece of property, right? I'm, we're just we're, let's just run with the the Cambodia example. Like you have you have a NFT that is representation of piece of property in Cambodia, and now it's on a blockchain, right? And then now all of a sudden you can use all these different infrastructures that are like financial or that are like you can trade. So you could potentially deposit that in a DeFi bank, and you could take a loan out of it against it, right? Like how, and then you never need to go through a bank. Because all these, you know, DeFi infrastructure and you know finances are all permissionless, meaning that anyone, uh, there's no discrimination. Anyone who have access to internet is able to make those transactions at a fraction of cost and also time to really enable the asset. Right? Once you just hold a hold a property, you can rent it out, right? But like, what else can you do more? So I so tokenization is important because it adds a lot of utility and unlocks the value for a lot of these um, assets that have been illiquid and not composable with a lot of things in the real world with a lot of friction costs in between. So I think down the line, we're going to see a lot of these tokens that represent things in the real world. And in a way, it's kind of like a way to make the, we're starting to make physical things digital, right? I think like, you know, Dave said, we take physical, like, you know, handbags and expensive things and make it digital. And you know, properties are things that we are going to see become digital, although it, it, it does exist in the physical world. So I think these things are really interesting things that will happen down the line. Yeah, let's talk about additional applications then. I mean, each one of you is interested in a different realm within this industry, right? I know, Louis, you're interested in DAOs. You are a part of a lot of DAOs. So everything from structuring to participation to incentive design, you know, I'm sure it's a whole world there. So can you talk to us about how to apply the things that we're learning about NFTs to understanding what DAOs are and how we can actually apply them to the everyday things that we do? That's a tough question. And I hope like we can also unpack that through like different episodes and stuff. Cause DAOs are a broad like concept and have a convoluted history and different applications that's very broad. But maybe I start with concrete elements. It's like, how can you leverage NFTs to both like monetize as a creator or as a group of people, you know, online, monetize your creations or the products that you create and then use this capital that, you know, you've been able to accumulate through this monetization and, and pull it together and then allocate it to different initiatives. Maybe it's, it's going to be, you know, investing some of it in, in, you know, in, in financial assets, in crypto assets. Maybe it's going to be collecting or creating NFTs you know, that you're supporting a cause or investing in NFTs that you value as, as a group. And so basically what we're seeing now is that more and more in the past, like the, the, the 
internet and, and, and social experience on the internet is, has been mostly single player. It's been in Twitter, Instagram. So basically you're like an individual and you're just like enhancing your identity thanks to these platforms uh, in different ways. Maybe Twitter is more like the professional side of things. Maybe Instagram is more like, you know, your, your best self that you like to show to others. And what we're seeing now is like, you know, with the evolution of the internet, the way it's, it's, it's growing and, and people are spending more and more time and needing to belong more to a group, to a community. People are like pulling into new, like more private social networks. There, there's like lots of different plays that trends at play, but basically like lots of these people jumping into discords and, and starting to chat together and creating things together and then, and then using the proceeds to, to do even new things and invest in new initiatives. So that's kind of like the, the very basic principle behind a DAO. It's like a community that gathers, gathers around a common theme and then, you know, pulls resources together that can be skills, financial capital and all these things uh, that can be anything. And then coordinates these resources to create new things and, and, and enrich an, a goal at a very abstract level. And so NFTs are like first, I mean, can be applicable because like this, this and these communities and these entities that operate online. And so they're very like NFTs can be applicable to a bunch of different things that we said, like monetization, but it can also be used as, you know, badges to reward like some types of contributions from community members that, you know, you will be, that will be used to direct maybe some, you know, salary or, or rewards to them in the future. Cause like you'll have these, these badges in their wallet in the future and be able to leverage that. So yeah, there's, there's a lots of, lots of different use cases, but NFTs as a way to kind of like map contributions, structured, structure groups in a community, create committees by handing NFTs to different people, different experts in your communities and letting them make decisions on a bunch of different things. Yeah, applications are, are very broad, but they're also like super uh, useful to structure these types of, you know, social entities online. Yeah, for sure. And another topic that we haven't touched on yet, but is huge and I think is only going to grow is crypto gaming, specifically the idea of play to earn. And L, you are a longtime gamer of Axie Infinity and I guess increasingly other games too. Can you talk to us a bit about the just the impact play to earn is having not only in your life and in the community around you in the Philippines, but also the broader crypto community as well? Yeah, and I guess to kind of, I mean, not to, the idea of DAOs has never really played out for me simply because most of these DAOs, most of the contributors are active when I'm asleep. So it's always just been like, why am I here? Because there's no one here when I'm here. So I haven't ever really experienced the magic of those, but versus like with play to earn, where you can earn money by playing a game. Whenever I tell people about it, I'm always just like, it's basically like a game with a premium currency. Only you can take the items in the premium currency out and sell it and trade it as you like. And people understand it just like, like that because I can whip out my phone, show them the game, and it's very easy to understand. And therefore, there has been no shortage of finding people to play with and yeah it's much more asynchronous and as far as I think about it there's really no shortage of people who would like to earn more money right 
we live in a culture like side hustle culture is so prevalent. Like we need side hustles now to be able to afford more things. And that's something that is unfortunately true. And the cool thing about play to earn is once you can get your foot in the door, you can just have this quote unquote job without really having to, you know, make more stuff or entertain more clients, et cetera, et cetera. It's a bit, it's a bit leisure, but it's productive leisure in a sense. And for some people, they might just be like, oh no, that's ruining it. I would like to just play a game and not have money into it. But there's a lot more people who need money right now than not. I mean, there's, it's also COVID, right? And to a certain extent, the fact that, you know, people are losing jobs and are unable to go out without risking their life or exposure to COVID has driven a lot of attention to play to earn into crypto as a whole, right? Because suddenly this looks like an appealing, it's not just like an appealing, it's an attainable exit from like a lot of the struggles that you would face with the existing structures. Because when you when you play to earn, you immediately access this global market, right? And it really doesn't matter where you're from, you access the same market as everyone else. Yeah, excellent. And we'll definitely dive deeper into that in future episodes with all sorts of games and players and game designers. So super excited for that. Dave, would love to sort of end it with you here to talk about the metaverse. I mean, Tom, also feel free to jump in as well. But this is one one concept of the, the four, let's call it, of NFTs, DAOs, play to earn, metaverse. It's the one concept that has been around for the longest, not application-wise, obviously, but just the concept, even dating back a little bit before Neil Stevenson's book, Snow Crash from 1992, popularized through his book, and then more recently through Ready Player One, right, in, in, in recent history, and that's been made into a movie. Free Guy just came out with Ryan Reynolds as the main character in which he finds himself in a video game, but he doesn't know it. The movie was just so seamless moving in and out of that virtual world and the physical world. So just give us a few thoughts of your thoughts on where the metaverse is headed. It's interesting too. And, I, and as you're, you know, checking off those names of movies and I grew up as a huge science fiction fan and, you know, like movies like The Matrix and, and countless other movies about digital layers that are almost, you know, simulations of life and it's all really fascinating to me. I think that there's two kind of approaches to this. One is the literal metaverses like Decentraland and, and other ones that are like literally like a virtual place. And then I think the word metaverse is, is being kind of co-opted into just talking about the digital layer of life as well. And I think that the real power of these spaces is going to be realized first in kind of augmented realities and augmented metaverses in the sense like like apps like Super World, where it's a one to one overlay of the world, and you don't actually have to disconnect from reality, but you have a layer that's that's over reality that is populated with your the things you own. Like you could have your, you know, you could be at a restaurant and everybody has AR glasses on. You can have your art floating around you. You could play games in front of you, like in in Star Wars when they're playing like hologram chess. And I think that. Back to this idea about like what COVID has done. COVID has pushed us a lot further into, into the digital spaces and these these metaverse environments. And I think what that did was kind of accelerated. It was a catalyst for the adoption of, of those sorts of environments. 
and I'm excited to see it unfold. I think that the the future of it is is vast, and it's just getting started. I mean, with announcements even from Facebook, from Epic Games, you know, committed a billion dollars to metaverse projects, and they, you know, they're they're the ones who own Fortnite, which is one of the biggest gaming platforms. So I think the future is is bright, and it's we're really just scratching the surface of what's possible with with these metaverse ideas. And I think one one data point that was the most striking to me was that I don't know if you are familiar with Roblox, which is like this metaverse world where people can go and create their own games or world or you know different things. And you know, kids age, I think it was like six to thirteen, are spending multiples more hours on Roblox versus YouTube. I mean, like I spend a lot of time watching YouTube, but that just blew my mind. I mean, I think, I guess I'm already a boomer and old, but like expanding that, like I think younger gener- a younger generation is so much more used to and familiar with being like living in a digital world versus like how much I want to spend my time in the digital world. So I think with that, you know, comfort and how much they're you know used to it, it just kind of, it's just like how we, grew up and didn't have an iPad, right? But kids are in, you know, kindergarten, elementary school are just all using or using digital devices. And I think all oh, that's all really just changing the world of like how we view it. I mean, it's it's hard for me to believe that survey and statistics. I was like, wow, that's like is that real? <laughs> yeah, but I think that's like how where we're moving towards. Like things are becoming digital and the boundaries between real life and digital world is really blurring now. It will become more seamless and We'll probably live in a dual world at one point. Incredible. Well, Tom, Dave, Elle, and Louis, you guys are going to take it from here and I'm sure just create a number of super interesting conversations for our audience to listen into. And guys, The Oasis Unstacked, it's live with this episode. So tune in every single week. You'll hear from a number of these guys, along with a guest from the industry about, again, all things NFTs, metaverse, crypto gaming, and so, so much more. So all right, guys, I appreciate you hopping on. Uh, This was a great start to The Oasis Unstacked. And yeah, just excited to kick things off. Thank you so much. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're going to do a lot of fun stuff. So make sure to tune in every week. We'll do some wild things. (laughs) Can't wait. (laughs) 